We'll start with a word of prayer. Lord, thanks for uh, the prospect of worshiping you together as a congregation. And thank you that you are pleased to uh, call us into your special, gracious presence as we do so. Uh, Thank you that you uh, welcome us uh, into your presence. And you do so because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We thank you that that's the case. And so as we have the prospect of entering into your presence with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise, we pray that you would open our eyes, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand, and grant that we might, by your grace, Uh, hear your voice, and have confirmed to us the fact that we are indeed your children and you are our God. We uh, pray that uh, in that circumstance that you'll uh, work in our hearts by your Spirit, that we might uh, respond to uh, what you speak to us in your Word. And uh, we pray that You'll work your word into our hearts that we might walk with you more and more. So be pleased to bless us to this end, we ask. Thank you for this short time class time together. Grant us your grace as we are in it. And be pleased to use your word to help us understand the worship you desire of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week we ended up by looking at Colossians 3.16 and the command that the Apostle Paul gives us there, that we are to let the Word of Christ dwell within us richly And the way Colossians 3.16 breaks down is that the Apostle Paul gives us two ways in which we follow the command. Uh, The first is that uh, we engage in teaching and admonishing one another. And and, uh, these are adverbial uh, phrases. Let the Word of Christ dwell in. In you, how do you let the word of Christ dwell in you? Teaching and admonishing one another. So that's the first way. And the second way is singing. And uh, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us what uh, we are to sing psalms and hymns and songs. And uh, this, this is where the debate comes as to the meaning of psalms and hymns and songs. And so we. Uh, uh, ended the class with uh, this diagram and uh, talking a little bit about uh, psalms and hymns and songs. And uh, I'm maintaining, uh, along with others, that psalms and hymns and songs refers to the psalms of uh, the Old Testament. And uh, so we're going to come back to that and revisit uh, that idea. Uh, but before that, we're going to come over here to uh, this board that's on your left. And uh, I want to give you a little bit of the history uh, that's behind uh, what the Apostle Paul has to say. 
that the Apostle Paul is not operating in a vacuum. Uh, he's just not suddenly giving us these uh, instructions. Uh, but there's a long history uh, behind uh, what the Apostle Paul has to say. And we're, we're starting out in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. So if you want to look, uh, those of you that have a Bible, Bibles are always good. Bibles are good. Uh, we're going to start out in 1 Chronicles 16 uh, where David inaugurated psalmody. And uh, this, is a, this is the first uh, idea I'm giving to you. Uh, prior to that, uh, there was no singing in the uh, tabernacle. And uh, David uh, brings this about. Uh, so this is one of the primary texts where we see that. And uh, the, uh, the first six verses, you, you just follow along as I read the first six verses. And they brought in the ark of God and placed it inside the tent which David had pitched for it. Uh, David brings the Ark of the Covenant uh, to uh, Jerusalem and uh, brings, uh, puts it in a tent. Now, uh, what we'll see in a moment, uh, the tabernacle is in Gibeon, is in a different location. And for some time, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant have been separated. Uh, you remember the Philistines uh, took the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, so the Ark of the Covenant and uh, the tabernacle have been separated uh, for some time. And it's, it's interesting, see, the, the, the symbolism here. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God with the people. And so this is one reason why David's anxious to have the Ark of the Covenant back in, in Jerusalem. Uh, David, uh, verse 2, well, uh, the middle of verse uh, 1, and they offered it, uh, burnt offerings and uh, peace offerings before God. See, the Ark of the Covenant. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, uh, to everyone a loaf of bread and a portion of meat and a raisin cake. He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the Ark of the Lord, even to celebrate and to thank and to praise uh, the Lord God of Israel. See, see here's what happens. Now, uh, see, the ark comes into Jerusalem. The uh, uh, job of the Levites changes, right? It had been the job of the Levites to transport the ark from place to place as Israel was on its journeys. But now the ark of the covenant comes to rest in Jerusalem. So, uh, the, the job of some of the Levites uh, changes. Uh, verse 4 again, He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord, even to celebrate and to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief, uh, and second to him Zechariah, and then Jael and Shemiramoth, and Je Jehiel and Matiah, yes, and Eliab and Beniah and Obed-Edom and Jael, with musical instruments, harps, lyres, and also Asaph played loud cymbals. Now, uh, we're going we're to talk about the instruments. Uh, not today, but we're going to get there. So, be, pa be patient. Uh, uh, that will come. And uh, verse 6, And Benai and Je uh, Haziel the priest blew trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now, now it's interesting. You'll see this uh, later on in, in uh, 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 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 16. The idea of continually is continually morning and evening. 
Not continually every moment of the day, but continually morning and evening because that's when the sacrifices were, were uh, performed. Then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord, okay, uh, to sing before the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in verses 8 uh, through 36, we have samples of the songs that David assigned. Right? So, uh, I'm not going to read through all of this, uh, but uh, here's, here's what you have in First uh, Chronicles uh, 16. In verses 8 and following, you have excerpts from Psalm 105. Okay. And uh, when you uh, come down to uh, uh, verse uh, 23, uh, you now have excerpts from Psalm 96. So, so first it's Psalm 105, then it's Psalm 96. And uh, when you come down to uh, verse 32, you have a, a verse from Psalm 98. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. And then it's back to, uh, for another verse, uh, Psalm 96. And then when you get to Psalm 34, uh, you come to Psalm 106. Now, Psalm 106 is uh, uh, the final psalm in book 4 of the Psalter. And uh, so uh, you have, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. The first verse of Psalm 106. And then the very end of Psalm 106. Uh, then say, Save us, O God, of our salvation, gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to Your holy name and uh, uh, glory in Your plays, praise, and then the doxology that, that we've often sung, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So the samples of the kinds of singing that David assigned in the tabernacle was the Psalms. See, that's the idea. Okay, This is part of the argument. It's not other songs that he assigned, it's the Psalms that he assigned. Uh, verse 37, So he left Asaph and the relatives there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark continually uh, as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom uh, with his 68 relatives, Obed-Edom and also the son of Jedathan and Hosea uh, as gatekeepers. He left Zadok the priest and his relatives the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place which was at Gibeon. Okay. So the, the, the tabernacle is still at a different location. Now, notice this. Uh, Chronicles 16.39 references a high place. Okay. Now, a high place was simply a place of worship. Sometimes the high places were places of idolatrous worship, but often the high places were not places of idolatrous worship. They were places where God's people gathered to worship. Okay, uh, so uh, uh, just because you see a high place mentioned in the Old Testament doesn't necessarily mean that it was a, a place of idolatrous worship. You follow me? Okay. It's just n noting a place uh, where uh, uh, there was a place of worship, and the tabernacle 
was there. Uh, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, verse 40, on the altar of burnt offering continually morning and evening. You see, the word continually morning and evening. Uh, even according to all that is written uh, in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. Uh, with them were Haman, Jeduthun, and the rest uh, who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord, uh, because his loving kindness is everlasting. A little snippet from Psalm 106. <laughs> because his loving kindness is everlasting. Uh, Psalm 106, verse 1. And with them were uh, Haman, Jeduthun, uh, with trumpets and cymbals for uh, those who could sound aloud with instruments for the songs of God. See, here's a place where the songs of God uh, refers to psalms. The word songs see, refers to psalms. And the sons of Jeduthun for the gate. Uh, then all the people departed each to his house and David returned to bless his household. So David inaugurated psalmody. That's what I'm after here. All right? So far, so good? All right? Smiles, no, no big furrows in the forehead or anything so far. Okay? I see some smiles. This is good. Right. Okay? Uh, psalmody is commanded by God. This psalmody is commanded by God. You have to go to Second Chronicles 29-25 to see this. David didn't just... Uh, uh, pull this out of the air. Twenty-nine. Second uh, Chronicles twenty-nine twenty-five. Uh, this is Hezekiah. Now, this is during uh, Hezekiah's rule, and Hezekiah is uh, reviving the true worship of God. This is what's happening in in Second uh, Chronicles twenty-nine. Uh, the he here is Hezekiah. He then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, and lyres, according to the command of David and of Gad the king's seers, and of Nathan the prophet, for the command was from the Lord through his prophets. Right? Why did they do these things? The command was from the Lord through his prophets. That's why they uh, carried out these things. This is why uh, they were done in uh, this way. And, and of course, uh, Nathan the prophet was uh, a prophet during the time of David, right? Uh, you, you should uh, remember that. Uh, so, uh, psalmody was, was commanded by God. And uh, then uh, you go down to Second Chronicles 29.30, Hezekiah commands that a collection of uh, psalms be made. Second uh, Chronicles 29.30 Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with joy and bowed down and worshipped. So, so the idea here is uh, that that uh, it's very clear that even if before this time uh, there were other songs that were sung, the uh, singing at this point is narrowed to the Psalter. Alright? To the songs of David and at Asaph. Uh, this is a reference to, uh, to the uh, Psalms uh, of the Old Testament. Now, 
several years ago, uh, before I uh, retired from the seminary, uh, one of the uh, uh, alumni uh, asked uh, T. David Gordon, who is a professor at uh, Grove City College, to uh, debate uh, the matter of psalmody. And he asked me to debate uh, Professor Gordon. And uh, uh, those debates are on YouTube. You can, you can look them up. Uh, and during the course of that debate, uh, Professor Gordon uh, mentioned an article that he had written. Uh, and I knew about the article. Uh, I read the article. Uh, and the article was uh, titled, uh, Israel uh, did not sing psalms exclusively, and neither do we. Okay, uh, as, as you could tell, uh, Dr. Gordon is no friend of uh, psalmody, and especially of exclusive psalmody. And uh, so during the course of the debate, uh, I mentioned the article, and he, yeah, 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 yeah that's true. And then I pointed him to uh, verse 30 in Second Chronicles 29. And he went, ah. Oh. <laughs> it's very clear uh, from this text that uh, the singing is narrowed, if there were other songs previously, and I, actually I don't think there were, is narrowed to the Psalms. Okay? Uh, good for us to understand uh, that this is the case. Okay, now we go to the second temple. Uh, the uh, temple is rebuilt after uh, the exile. And uh, so we go to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12, no winner of sword drills here, as I've said. Uh, first of all, verse 40, and uh, uh, verse 40 just sets the context for us. Uh, the second choir uh, proceeded to the left while uh, I followed them uh, with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the furnace uh, to the broad wall. And... Uh, 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 here, here are dedications of the wall and dedications uh, of uh, the second temple. Uh, so the, the choirs are, are assembled. Uh, verse 45, uh, uh, For they perform the worship of their God and the service of purification together with the singers and the gatekeepers in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon, for in the days of David and Asaph, in the ancient times, there were leaders of singers, songs of praise, and hymns of thanksgiving to God. So, what did they do uh, in this time of Nehemiah? They followed the directions of David. And the directions of David go back to what? The directions of God, the things that were commanded by God. And if they followed the directions of David... Uh, these singers uh, sang songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving. What are these songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving? See, if they actually followed the command of David, <laughs> you have to say that these hymns uh, and songs are, the, are psalms. 
I mean, that's, that's part of what you have to say. Uh, they wouldn't have gone off on their own. Say, Nehemiah especially would not have gone off on his own and said, well, we, we've, we've, I've got some cool songs that we can sing now. Uh, uh, they weren't actually authorized by God, but it's all right if we sing them. And uh, he knows right well that God would have gotten him for that. Uh, and that's the picture. Uh, so, so Nehemiah was scrupulous about, about these things. So, what I'm trying to display to you is there's a long history here of psalmody among the people of God. So, when you get to Matthew 26.30, see, now we're in the New Testament. Matthew 26.30, and uh, this is after the uh, uh, first Passover and the institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, and uh, Jesus and the disciples go out to the Mount of Olives. Matthew 26.30 says, After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, when I was in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, as a pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, I can't tell you the number of times I said uh, to the congregation I served after communion, like the disciples of old, please turn to hymn number whatever it is uh, in uh, the hymnal, and we too will sing a hymn like the disciples of old sang a hymn after uh, they celebrated the first communion. I can't tell you the number of times uh, that I did that. And, and I know that that's a common practice in, in many churches. The difficulty here is that the hymn that they sang, and this is well attested, the hymn that they sang was uh, the so-called Egyptian Hallel. The Passover hymn, which is composed of Psalms 111 through 118. This is what they sang when they left the Passover. These psalms. This is the hymn that they sang. And this is well attested. Go to any commentary and you'll see that this is the case. Alright? So here's another case in which the word hymn and this is in the New Testament, refers to, specifically refers to psalms. And there's no way really to get around this. Historically, this is the case. All right. So, this is what happens. Now, look at Acts 16.25. Acts 16.25. This is Paul and Silas in prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So, so now the question uh, becomes, 
What were Paul and Silas singing? Uh, well, I can guarantee you one thing. They were not singing, Oh, Jesus, I love Thee. I can guarantee you that they weren't singing uh, that song. All right. And uh, I have a book in my uh, library uh, uh, by a, uh, a pastor who uh, Irma and I had as a professor at uh, Fuller Seminary who I can guarantee you is no friend of psalmody. And uh, his rationale for what uh, Paul and Silas were singing is this, uh, that, that when you're in a difficult situation and you call out to God and uh, you sing songs, uh, what are you going to sing? You're going to sing the things with which you're most familiar. You're going to sing the songs that are closest to your heart and the songs that are most familiar. And uh, this commentator says, and I, I think he's correct, this commentator says, in the case of Paul and Silas, the thing, the songs that would have been closest to their hearts would have been the psalms. And it's the words of the psalms that were heard in that prison that night. Now, uh, I can't infallibly prove that that's the case. Uh, but, but you see, just thinking it through a little bit, it makes preeminent sense, it seems to me, that this would be the case. All right? uh, so, uh, you, you see, what I'm trying to show you here is that there's a long history uh, involved in the singing of psalms, in psalmody. Now, uh, I, I, could, I could spend three or four hours with you going through uh, the history of the early church and uh, of uh, uh, the church as a whole uh, and lay out for you a long history of psalmody. <laughs> I mean, that's possible. Uh, I don't think we have time for that right now. <laughs> but uh, uh, that, is, that is possible. And my uh, effort here is to lay out this history because this is part of the history that's behind Colossians 3.16. This is part of the history that's behind Colossians 3.16. And my argument has been, and I think... Uh, we've seen this from scriptures uh, already, uh, that the word psalms and hymns and songs, as they're spoken of in the Bible, right, in the Bible, in the cases that we've looked at, refer to the psalms, right? They refer to the psalms. And uh, this construction here, psalms and hymns and songs, is a fairly common figure of speech. That's called hendiatris. And uh, I gave this to you quickly last week. But what this means is, 
in this construction, it's three nouns connected with and. And it means that the apostle is not speaking about three different things, but he's speaking about one thing. Not three different things. That's, that's the idea of the figure of speech. And uh, you, you look it up in a dictionary. <laughs> this is the idea of the figure of speech. And a, an example of this is John 14.6. So uh, let's look at John 14.6. And uh, in order to get to John 14.6, I want to read uh, from the first verse. It's uh, be good if I got to the right chapter, wouldn't it? I want to read from the first verse of chapter 14. Uh, Jesus saying to the disciples, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? You see, uh, the whole passage has to do with the way of getting into the presence of the Father. This is what the passage has to do with. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about the way to the Father. And His comment in verse 6 specifically has to do with the way to the Father. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's another hendiatrist. Jesus is not speaking about three different things here. Jesus is speaking about one thing, the way to the Father. Now, how would you interpret this, this hendiatrist, this figure of speech? The proper way to understand it would be, uh, Jesus is saying, I am the true and living way to the Father. This, this is what Jesus is saying. I am the true and living way to the Father. It, it, actually, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, you see what Jesus is saying. And uh, uh, you, can, you can probably go to Sermon Audio and YouTube and find... Uh, uh, six dozen pastors who will unfold uh, John 14.6 and object uh, to uh, the notion I'm presenting to you. And the reason they object to the notion 
that I am presenting to you is that they don't pick up on this figure of speech. And I, I want to go, hello? <laughs> hello? <laughs> now, uh, there's something else that enters in here. Uh, and uh, it's the word spiritual. And in the original, uh, the, the way it's written is psalms and hymns and songs spiritual. The adjective is actually at the end. And in the translations... In your translation, no doubt it's put this way, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, correct? Uh, so that the adjective goes uh, only with the word songs, but grammatically, uh, this is not the case. Grammatically, since the adjective is at the end of this figure of speech, the adjective actually modifies all three of these words. That's the grammar of it. What am I to say? <laughs> this is how the grammar falls out. Now, there's an example of this in Philippians 2.25. So, uh, turn to Philippians 2.25. Since I have the new technology, it takes me longer to get there. Philippians 2, uh, 25. Uh, now, here's the example. Uh, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. And uh, the, the uh, construction is my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Now, uh, 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 part of what doesn't come out in the English translation is, uh, in verse 25, fellow worker and fellow soldier. Each of those terms is one word in Greek. It's one word. Fellow soldier is one word. Fellow worker is one word in Greek. So you have uh, three nouns uh, that are packed together, separated with and. And at the end of, uh, of, of that hendiatris, is what it is, is the word my. The word my actually comes at the end. Now, where do the translators put it? At the beginning. Why? Because the word my modifies each one of those. It's in verse 25, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. That, that's how you would understand it. And it's, it's the same idea here. Grammatically, Uh, that the idea here is that we're talking about spiritual psalms, spiritual hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and what this means is, one of the ways to understand this is, that these are psalms and hymns and songs 
that are inspired by the Spirit. This is is the grammar uh, of the text. Now, uh, several years ago when I was uh, pastoring in Sterling, Kansas, and and, uh, I was involved with a ministerial association there, uh, we had a community service, and uh, a young lady, a fine young lady, a lovely Christian young lady. She was a wife of a football coach at Sterling College. And I know she uh, loved Jesus Christ and uh, had a beautiful voice, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so she was asked to, to sing a special at this uh, community uh, service. And uh, when she got up, uh, to sing, she announced her uh, piece as follows. Uh, she said, Just as David was inspired to sing, uh, was inspired to write the Psalms, so I was inspired to write the song I am about to sing to you. And my jaw dropped. Uh, of course, you get, you get the emphasis, don't you? You get what's happening. And I'm quite sure that when, if I would have queried uh, this young lady, and as I say, she, she loved Jesus Christ. There's no question in my mind that that was the case. Uh, uh, if I were to query this lady and ask her, well, do you believe that your song is inspired like Scripture is inspired? She would have said, oh no, oh no, oh no. But you see, this is, this is the equation that she was making uh, in her little introduction. It's so easy for us to lapse over in this sort of thing. And, but, but we're actually using the term inspired in two different ways in actuality. We're, we're inspired to do lots of things. But we're certainly not infallible. I would be the first one to say that about myself. So uh, the idea here is that these are songs that are each one, uh, songs and hymns and psalms that are spiritual and uh, inspired by the Spirit. Okay. Uh, Now, one more thing. One more thing. Uh, And this is quite striking. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Teaching and admonishing one another. And uh, those of you who were here last week will remember this. Uh, Well, maybe we should look at it. Uh, Colossians 1.28. What does teaching and admonishing mean? What does Paul mean? Colossians 1.28. We proclaim Him... Colossians 1.28, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We proclaim Christ. How do you proclaim Christ? Teaching and admonishing. This is what Paul is saying. So, so this idea here, teaching and admonishing, has to do uh, in Colossians uh, principally with preaching. Preaching and teaching in the congregation. The kind of thing we're doing right now. Uh, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
teaching and admonishing one another. Now, uh, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what to teach here. You get that, correct? Uh, but we understand from the context that uh, this teaching and admonishing must be scriptural, correct? I think we would all agree that that's the case. That any teaching and admonishing within the church must be scriptural. And especially if you're going to let the Word of Christ dwell within you. And the Spirit of Christ worked in the prophets of old. And so the words that they spoke are actually the words of Christ. In the end, they're the words of Christ. Scripture turns out to be the words of Christ. So, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, preaching, teaching and admonishing one another. And Paul, Paul leaves this open here uh, so that we understand that our teaching and admonishing should be scriptural. But now when he comes to our singing, he tells us what to sing. This is astonishing. Uh, in uh, the minds of many. Why would the Apostle Paul tell us what to sing? And uh, those of you who understand music understand that music has a special power and force. Uh, This is why uh, at an early age we teach our children little songs. Because Music can be formative in the lives of individuals. And because music is formative in the lives of individuals, Paul gives us what we are to sing in church. What we are to sing. And so, if we are to let the Word of Christ dwell richly within us, then the argument would be, Praise be unto God that we should sing the psalms of the Old Testament, the psalms and hymns and songs of the Old Testament. Questions or comments? Right here in the front row, right away. Professor Robeson at the seminary has a doctoral study which he calls the two chi study and the, and the word and is the word greek word chi and, and he does a thorough study uh, and and you i think you can find this online he does a thorough study of this where he shows that the two chi construction and that's what this would be the two and construction uh, in each case uh, has to do with one thing so that so that's another argument okay. that's a little more technical so that's why i didn't go there all right We're going to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're good to us in every respect. We're glad that you guide us by your word. And as you do so, Father, we do pray once again that you give to us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. And as this is more and more the case, Father, we pray 
that we will be in submission to your word and thereby in submission to you and more and more follow Jesus Christ. We ask that you would be pleased to bless us to this end and as we now have the privilege as your people of coming together for worship, we pray that we will not only be invited into your presence, but actually enter into your gracious presence to hear your voice and uh, by your grace to be assured by you that we belong to you. Bless us to this end, we pray, in the good name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen.